0: don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now, get 20% off when you use code 5 hetravel at 5-HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5-HourEnergy.com and use code 5 hetravel to save 20%. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got Mike Lanana here, and uh, we're ready to talk about college baseball. It's a huge week coming up, but we want to talk about uh, the weekend that was before we get into some of these conference tournaments that, that are coming your way this week. Uh, the regular season wrapped up for most teams around the country this week. Kind of some wild finishes out there, Mike. And um, there's, it's a great time of year in college baseball. There's a lot going on.
1: Oh yeah, this this is when things start to get crazy. You see a lot of these and a lot of these smaller conferences tournaments around the country too that are starting up. A lot of big thieves, a lot of desperation time for a lot of these teams out there. And where we got a sneak preview of that this weekend, we saw a lot of a lot happen in the Big Twelve. Some some shaking up there. We saw Florida, the number one team in the country, get swept. By Mississippi State. They remain number one, though. Their resume is still the best resume in the country. But yeah, this is this is a time of year you start hearing more about the draft, too. The draft is coming up soon. It's a busy time in baseball America. It's a hectic time for all these players and coaches, and it's only going to get crazier the deeper we go.
0: Absolutely. It's hard to believe that we're already just one week away from, uh, from the selection Monday um, and, and everything that comes with that. So Mike, you touched on it there, uh, Florida this week, they'd already won the sec. Uh, they clinched that last week at home. They go to Starkville this week, Mississippi state really needed this. Uh, they needed something this weekend. They, they came into the weekend, 12 and 15 in the sec. Um, their RPI wasn't that great. It wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that great. Um, they needed something to kind of push them into the tournament and they got it, uh, with a a sweep of Florida. Um, Despite that, Florida remained number one in the top twenty-five. Uh, we just felt like Florida still has pretty much by far the best resume in the country. They're the only Power Five conference school that has lost um, less than two uh, has less than two losing weekends. This was their first. They have twenty-four top fifty RPI wins. That's the most in the country. Um, they've really done everything they can all year, they're, they're the SEC champs, uh, until this weekend, and they hit a speed bump in Mississippi State. And Mike, you know, what do you make of what the Bulldogs
1: did this weekend? Yeah, well, like you said, it was something they needed to do. Uh, not necessarily to sweep, but obviously to, to win a game or ultimately win a series was something they very much needed to do to improve their postseason standing. We had a lot of questions last week. I know I did on Twitter, people asking me about why isn't Mississippi State in our field? Well, that's going to change. They're going to be in our field. They've played their way into it, obviously sweeping the number one team in the country. It's been a tumultuous season for Mississippi State, starting with a a sweep against Southern Miss opening weekend, and then Annie Kenazaro getting pushed out there at Mississippi State. They've dealt with a lot. It's been a roller coaster. But you have to give those players and you have to give Gary Henderson credit at the top of that team, the head coach there now. You have to give them credit for, for keeping it together, for rallying here late in the season and putting themselves in good position here. Now they're, they're back into the NCAA tournament picture. So to me, it was, it was a loud, loud statement by the Bulldogs. And I think for all all three of us, though, all of us on the conference call last night, there really wasn't much argument about leaving Florida at number one, though. I I think we all realized that this weekend was not a a must-win situation for Florida by any stretch. They proceeded cautiously with their their pitchers and and made sure that they were good to go. So to me, I, I think it was both teams did what they needed to do. Mississippi State needed to pick up some big wins, and Florida needed to make sure that they have all their players ready to go and and chomping at the bit for the postseason coming up.
0: Yeah, uh, they Florida rested Brady Singer or pulled Brady Singer, um, They scratched him from his start on Friday with uh, a hamstring strain. It's not a serious injury. Um, he'll be back. He'll be fine. They'll be fine as a team, I think. But I know that this is not the time of year you want this kind of thing to happen. I'm going to be very interested to see how they handle the SEC tournament this week, um, just how much they want to go out and and win it, um, how they go about managing their pitching this week, and, and what that leads to. But ultimately, even if they, you know, flame out in Hoover and this this stretch continues into next week, they're still going to be the number one seed going into the NCAA tournament. So they're still going to get a home regional and they're still going to get, you know, a a pretty favorable regional draw. And ultimately they're going to end up in a position where Brady Singer takes the mound at McKeithen Stadium on Saturday in a regional. And if the Gators still need a spark by then, I am feel very confident about Brady Singer's ability to spark this team and to light a fire that that can keep it going throughout the postseason. Nothing about this weekend was particularly good for Florida. I don't know that there are that many positives that they can take. I guess Deacon Lippitt hit pretty well on Saturday. Um, I think he hit pretty well all weekend, actually. But, you know, they're very small things. But mostly this weekend, just a weekend to forget for the Gators. They'll move on. Uh, but a key weekend for Mississippi State, and they move into the top 25 at number 25. Also joining this week is another MSU. Missouri State checks in at 24, having won their second straight Missouri Valley title. Uh, They went down to DBU and won a series, and... Like they have won 36 of their last 40 conference games over the last two years. And the Bears, obviously, they've they produced some big-time talent. Jake Berger last year. Jeremy Ironman looks like a potential first-rounder again this year. I mean, they, uh, they've they been on our, on our radar all year long. But this was, to me, this was a statement.
1: Yeah, they've been right on the periphery all year. Every week we talk about the top 25. They're a team that always comes up. Just resume wise, RPI wise, all of that. They just we were just waiting for that that last push, and it just so happened that it came here in the final weekend of the season with the series win at Dallas Baptist, which in the Missouri Valley is as big a statement as you can make for a contending team. Those two have gone neck and neck at the top of the conference the last couple of years. Dallas Baptist has had a very good year in its own right this season. So for Missouri State, certainly, I mean, this is a, it's a team that we've liked, and and this is just. The, for for me at least the the moment where it's it sort of solidified and clarified things a little bit and almost not that they proved themselves but it it, it definitely made a, a huge statement in terms of the the quality of team they are and the kind of competition that they're going to bring to the NCAA tournament in the next couple of weeks.
0: I think what was most impressive for me about the Bears is that they had I guess it was about five or six weeks ago they had this incredibly difficult week where they played Arkansas and then midweek and then hosted Oregon state and then played Mizzou in a, in a midweek, the, the following, uh, the following week. And they went over that week. And, and that was a really tough week. Those, those are some really good teams that they were playing, but they bounced back from that in a big way. And they really came, took it down the stretch. They played very well. Uh, they continued to, to take care of their business in the Missouri Valley. And I, I thought the way they responded to that because You know, that could have gone the other way that easily could have just snowballed on them, I feel like. But it didn't. They they have an older team, a team that's been to Super Regionals a year ago that knows how to how to take that stuff and, and, you know, put it behind them and, you know, go back to doing what they needed to do. Uh, to win their conference. And that's the first time that Missouri State has won back-to-back regular season titles since they joined the Missouri Valley in, in 1991. So very impressive uh, all around from from the Bears. And one
1: thing I will say about Missouri State too is passionate fan base. We've heard a lot from Missouri State fans this year, fans that were really, really pushing for us to rank them. And hey, we we appreciate the feedback, all kinds of feedback. We want people to to care about our poll and to to pester us if they don't like something that we're doing. You finally got your wish. It only took until the last weekend of the season. But if you're a Missouri State fan and you've, and you've listened to these podcasts and you've been just sitting there stewing thinking, when are they going to talk about Missouri State? When is Missouri State going to get in? Well, here you go. This is the podcast for you, Missouri State Nation.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I spoke with uh, third baseman Matt Brown um, last week for uh, for Off the Wall. And, you know, he talked about how this team has a championship mentality and he thinks they can – uh, you know, go out and, and make some noise in the postseason again this year. So I, this week was a big statement for that. And it also, I, you know, should push them up to the two line, um, they probably are going to end up back in Arkansas. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but they're very familiar with that. And it worked out pretty well for them last year. I, and maybe they've played themselves out of that since Arkansas may well be a national seat. But we'll get to that uh, later in the podcast. Before then, I want to talk about another team from Texas, the Texas Lawnhorns, who this week, going into the weekend, they were, they were two games behind Oklahoma State in the Big 12 standings, three games to play. Texas, though, comes out with the Big 12 title. They swept TCU at home while Oklahoma State got swept at home by Texas Tech. And Texas claims its first Big 12 title since 2011. Cody Clemens had a fantastic weekend two huge home runs on Friday night, including a walk-off shot. Uh, and then he homered in, the, in his first plate appearance on Saturday to really get the Longhorns off on the right foot uh, and and push them towards the title. And, uh, you know, this Longhorns team in May has really been spectacular. Um, they were just a few weeks ago, they, they lost a series at West Virginia, had fallen back to uh, three games out of first place with six games to play. They had a really tough series on the schedule still at Texas Tech. And um, it did not the, the odds were not in their favor to to win this Big 12 title. But in part because Oklahoma State faltered down the stretch. Yes, that, that is a part of this. But Texas did everything they could. They go five and one in the Big 12 down the stretch, win a series in Lubbock, sweep TCU, and and they come out with a you know a, a just a really great series win. They get the trophy, just a, a great moment there in Austin.
1: Oh yeah, no, no doubt, especially with, with everything they've gone through this year with the passing of obviously the, the great Augie Garrido. And they've, they've had a lot of ups and downs on the baseball field as well this year. It's a team that we really liked coming into this year primarily because of their pitching staff and how deep they were pitching-wise. But you mentioned Cody Clemens, and I feel like every week, I always look at box scores or watch the games and see him stepping up into some sort of clutch situation and coming through. He's really put them on on his back offensively these last few weeks. And there have been other guys who have stepped up as well. Zach Zubia comes to mind as someone who's been really good this year for Texas. But Cody Clemens has really claimed that leadership role on this Longhorn team and has been huge for them down the stretch. And the way they're playing right now, the way David Pierce has them rolling – they seem like a, a really dangerous club and a team, especially now that they're firmly right back in the, the, the hosting conversation, they're going to host, they're going to be dangerous. Uh, you could certainly see them making a, a deep run at the very least into super regionals, given what they've done this year and how they finished this season.
0: Yeah. I, it's a, it's a very dangerous club for the postseason. Uh, you can read more about Texas today uh, at baseballamerica.com in in, uh, in off the bat. And when I was talking with David Pierce yesterday, you know, he, he said that he thinks there's more in the tank. He doesn't think, you know, they're playing their best baseball of the year right now, but he thinks that they can still improve that, um, you know, he, he sees room for improvement in, in pretty much every facet of the game. And if they are able to find another level, um, they're really dangerous. You know, I, I like their, they have a solid pitching staff, Nolan Canem through a, a complete game on Thursday night that, you know, he really, uh, you know, stepped up and, and, looked like the ace of the staff. And he's got the talent to do it. He, he absolutely doing does it
1: throughout the postseason, So that's certainly an encouraging sign.
0: And their, their bullpen was great this weekend. I don't think their bullpen allowed a run uh, all weekend long. And um, yeah, they've got various options they can turn to down there. And, um, you know, like Mike mentioned, Zubia has been very good hitting behind Cody Clemens. And now they have David Hamilton and Duke Ellis hitting in front of Clemens. And, and that's a really good top half of the lineup. And, uh, you know, whoever gets paired up with, with Texas throughout the postseason is is in for a tough matchup.
1: No, there's there's no question. And it, it, it was fun to see how this Big 12 race unfolded because I know we were scratching our heads a little bit trying to figure out which way it was going to go. Obviously, you have to give Oklahoma State a ton of credit for the run that they made, especially at the start of Big 12 play to, to rise to the top of those standings and to turn themselves... I mean, they got off to a tough start this year. You look at their non-conference record, And they did not look like a tournament team. So for them to be able to turn things around and put themselves in the tournament by leading the Big Twelve for as long as they did, credit to Josh Holliday and the rest of that staff. And, you know, give credit to Texas Tech too for going on the road and and sweeping that series. You know, they're a team that, you know, you expected, I mean, we had them in the top ten all year for the most part, and and you expect them to win this conference. They were, you know, looking at at fourth place potentially in the in the Big Twelve and they stepped up in a big way and you know, they're fifth in the RPI right now. And it was something that I think they needed to sort of exert their dominance a little bit in conference play. And so for me, that was an encouraging sign. If I'm a red Raiders fan,
0: they also really needed to show they could win on the road. I think, um, to show the committee something they hadn't won a road series all year. Uh, so came down to the last one, but they got it and they got it in a huge way. Um, they never, th- that series never really felt that close. You know, they, they, they really went out and coming off their finals break, they went to Stillwater with something to prove, and they did prove it. Um, you know, so and, and they, with that, they inserted themselves right back into the top eight seed race, and uh, you know they're going to go to Oklahoma City this week in the Big 12 tournament uh, with a chance to to maybe move into that um, along with Texas. Um, you know, I, I think both of those teams can do it, especially if one of them winds up with uh, holding another trophy this week in Bricktown. Um, elsewhere. The ACC race also went down to the wire. It was maybe a little less dramatic, um, but North Carolina swept Virginia Tech to hold on to the top seed in this week's ACC tournament. Clemson did everything they could to, to push UNC to the finish, uh, sweeping Pittsburgh on the road, but in the end, uh, the tiebreaker got the Tigers. Got the Tigers, and, got the Tigers uh, by the coat,
1: tail. <laughs> there you go. I slipped. I slipped up. That was a good one, though. It, it, you got it, was, it. It was a good one, but I slipped up a little bit on the delivery. I'm a little bit ashamed. <laughs> we, we need to go back and edit this out. I need to report that again so that we could, we could fix that. But yeah, no. As as you mentioned, I mean, it was both teams swept this weekend. Both teams did what they had to do. Just tiebreaker rules. Both teams were 22 and 8 in the ACC. It just so happened to won work their
0: respective out. divisions.
1: Yeah. So I mean, no knock on Clemson whatsoever. UNC gets the number one overall seed in the ACC tournament. And Mike Fox wins ACC Coach of the Year. You look at for the, the
0: first time in like his twenty whatever year career. yeah, it's, at UNC. it's it's
1: kind of wild that that's the first time ever, especially given the college World Series teams they've had over the years, the the teams that you know, in two thousand and six and two thousand and seven against oregon state and and the the title series, I mean they've they've had some really good teams over the years. So it is surprising that this is the first year that he's won it. But you look at North Carolina, you look at what they've done this year. Obviously, they got off to a difficult start. They dropped out of our top 25 early in the season, got off to a 7-7 and start, and lost their first ACC series on the road at Louisville. And really, from that moment, they picked things up, they pieced things together, they found the right formula on the mound, and lineup-wise, and... Um, I I wrote the the cover feature for our last story on North Carolina on their analytical approach, their analytics department that they have that's student run and how that's impacted the way that they play, the way they manage their team. And certainly, you know, in their second year doing that, that's played a role in, in diagnosing the issues that they face and fixing them faster than maybe they would have fixed them in years past, finding the right roles for guys based on data and the analytical information that they have. But... You know, UNC, just a, a sensational finish for the Tar Heels. This is the team that we envisioned in the preseason, given all their depth on the mound and the returning experience that they had in the lineup. And the biggest news for UNC, other than winning the, the ACC, is they get their ace back. They got John Luca Delatry back after not pitching since February. Only made two starts this year and missed the rest of the year. He pitched on Saturday uh, against Virginia Tech, only through the first four innings, but he looked excellent. He was up to 94. He was he was commanding his fastball really, really well in the low 90s. 20 of his first 22 pitches were strikes. He was also commanding his breaking ball and his changeup. Looked like he hadn't missed a single start. It looked like he was he was ready to go another four innings if they needed him to throw that many. He only finished with a little over 40 pitches in four innings. So that's a huge boost for Carolina going forward. He's going to pitch again in this ACC tournament at some point this week to get him ready for regionals. But when you have a team that, that's kind of mixed and matched a little bit on the mound this year, weekend rotation rise, they've, they've tried a few different orders, eventually settled, settled on Juco transfer Cooper, Cooper Criswell. It's a tough name to say. There's, it's alliterative. Um, Cooper Criswell as their their Friday starter uh, in, in place of Luca Delatri. But now you get that additional arm, it makes them that much deeper, and it makes them scarier because this is a team that we envisioned before the season as a number six preseason team.
0: I think it was really significant because while they finished with the record that indicates that they're the team that we thought they were coming into the year, this is not the, this hadn't been the UNC team that we signed up for. You know, this is a team that we thought was going to do it with pitching that had this rotation of Delatry, Baum, and Bergner. And, and we thought that and an incredibly deep bullpen and the incredibly deep bullpen has showed up. Yeah. The rotation has not. And, you know, before Delatry's return, you're kind of looking at this and wondering, like, okay, do they actually have three starters that they rely on? Like, what would, what would happen in a game three of a Super Regional or, or a game seven of a Regional? Like, what, what happens then? And, you know, I think Delatry's return really answers a lot of those questions that, you know, it lines up how whether they want him or Criswell in the first game of a regional, they have the, set, the next, the other one in the next game, and um, then you have Bergner. And if they can get Tyler Baum going, or uh, however they want to line it up, if there were to be a, a fourth game, you know, I, I think they're now set up in a way on the mound that that is advantageous, uh, and they have enough talent throughout the lineup. Uh, it's maybe not the flashiest lineup in the world, um, but it is a deeper lineup especially as Ashton McGee has come on in the second half here. And
1: And Brandon Riley, too. Brandon Riley. Brandon Riley stepping
0: up into that three hole. Um, You know, they hit the lineup changes all the time, but Brandon Riley can hit at the top of the lineup. And Brandon Martorano, he typically hits more in the bottom of the the order. And uh, he has the second most home runs on the team. So they have some lineup depth. They have that deep bullpen. And I think Delatry coming back really is that last piece of the puzzle that, that the Tar Heels really needed to feel like, again, uh, they can be serious contenders uh, in the
1: NCAA tournament. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I think the fact that they had, you mentioned the the weekend rotation, I think the fact that they had Cooper Quiswell settle into that Friday role and gain some confidence and the rest of the team gained confidence in him is only going to help and gives them more flexibility on the mound because like you said you have two guys that you can choose from now for that role essentially you know two friday quality aces you know cooper queswell isn't the kind of guy he's not going to throw 95 but he's very polished he commands it he's six foot six throws from a tough angle he's he's got a good starter's repertoire and it also allows you guys like tyler Baum and austin bergner they've been inconsistent this year but they've had flashes of dominance they have the stuff to dominate but it allows you to have a little bit of a shorter leash on them and not have to lean on them as heavily. And you can lean on Delatry and Criswell, you know, going forward in this tournament. So I think it puts them in a really good position pitching wise. It's it's like a huge trade at the the trade deadline and getting a, an ace. It's like the Astros trading for Verlander last year. Not saying is as good as Verlander, that's a big jump to make, but it's it, it could be a comparable kind of boost to a team going into the postseason.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question you want your opening day starter back. There, there's, yeah. you know, no matter what team we're talking about, that's what you want. And and they got it back. One team that isn't getting its opening day starter back is Florida State. But the Seminoles have continued to roll this season uh, after losing Tyler Holton. They've been very impressive. And this weekend was another very impressive Uh, Series for them against North Carolina State, they get two walk-off home runs and extra innings to to win that series in dramatic fashion. Uh, And and I felt like they really needed that one um, to kind of shore up their hosting uh, chances, like that they're now pretty well assured of hosting, regardless of what happens in the ACC tournament. And they're right back to the edge of the national seed discussion. Uh, and, And there are a lot of really interesting things about their resume. They played one of the harder... ACC schedules, uh, you know, they were in the tougher division, and then they caught both Duke and UNC in crossover, uh, so those are the top two teams in the other division, and Florida State wore it a little bit ACC schedule-wise, but they come out looking pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's we both agreed that it was a series that they needed to, to remain firm in the hosting discussion. And they did it in dramatic fashion with two walk-off wins and back-to-back nights. They really, really had to battle for it. And that shows a lot about Mike Martin's team and the character of his team. And, you know, they do have a lot of veterans, guys with postseason experience, guys who've played in Omaha, guys who have been in these tough moments before that are now juniors and seniors that are helping to lead them, especially offensively. So I, I think they're a team that is... You know, to me, what this points to is I don't think they're going to be phased going into the postseason. I think they're going to be just as dangerous as they've always been. And, and this is really, you know, for me, especially these last few years, has been FSU's M.O. You know, we have high thoughts of them in the preseason, usually rank them pretty high. Uh, we had them number three overall this year before the season started. Struggled a little bit early on against a, a tough schedule in the ACC, but here they are right back where we thought they would be, a number 10 in the RPI. In the conversation, at the very least, for a national seed. They've had some adversity. They've dealt with some injuries. As you mentioned, Tyler Holton was a huge one early on. And that had, I think, a a huge impact on their struggles in the early season, just figuring out what to do on the mound. But there they are. They haven't figured it out. There's a reason why Mike Martin is the winningest coach in college baseball history. Absolutely.
0: Um, So, Mike, let's look. We've talked about these top eight seeds and can some of these teams get them? And I know that's a question on a lot of fans' minds. Uh, as we go into the a week um, that that is really going to have have a lot of impact on the various bubbles in, in in the NCAA tournament race. So a week ago, in our projected field of sixty four, we we had a top eight uh, that included Florida, Stanford, Georgia, Arkansas, North Carolina, Oregon State, Ole Miss, and Clemson. And sneak peek. Um, Maybe not so sneak peek. I don't know when you're listening to this. In uh, the projected field of 64, we're we're dropping on Tuesday. Those are the eight top eight seeds. Those those are still the eight. But Texas Tech, Florida State, and Texas, especially, I feel like they're they're kind of on the edge, and maybe they can play their way into it uh, with a big week this week.
1: No doubt. I mean that that to me is is the part of the conference tournaments that. I think is the most fun is you see, a, you see who is willing to stand up, who is able to stand up and make this last push. This is a great opportunity in these bigger tournaments for these teams to, to build up their RPI, add some marquee wins to the resume, bolster some things a little bit, and maybe force their way into a national seed conversation. I remember Clemson doing it a couple of years ago uh, under their first year of Monty Lee winning the championship. Uh, against Florida State. How how long was that that day for you there? That was about a ten hour day. Um, I'm hoping that doesn't repeat this week, um, but it was it was a ten hour day because some,
0: of, some lengthy because rain because delays of, there because
1: of the rain. It was a, it was a wild day, but that's that's why I'm bringing it up as an example because I can never erase that from my <laughs> memory because it was just an insane day. But in any event, you know, that's, that's an example that comes to mind of a team that can play its way into the national eight seed conversation by winning a conference tournament or at least making a deep push into the conference tournament. So it, while while I feel good about these eight teams that I have, the, if, the, if the field were to be created today and conference tournaments weren't a thing, I, I think these are without question the eight teams. But yes, I mean, it could it could change a little bit over these next few days as we see how these tournaments play out.
0: Honestly, I'm going to be very interested to see how the committee handles Texas Tech. Um, they're up to number five in the RPI, but they finished third in the Big 12 at 15-9. and nine. They, as I previously mentioned, hadn't really won a road series before this weekend, but then they did in spectacular fashion. I don't know. They're rather interesting. And they're they're one of the more interesting resumes to me. Uh, and, and how they get handled is going to be interesting. They could make this a lot easier on everyone by just going out and winning at Bricktown. But uh, if they don't get it done this week, how they get handled, how deep they go this week, it, I'm going to be very interested in seeing that. And I feel like Clemson, maybe, I don't know, they're 11 in, in the RPI right now. They're maybe not as safe as what it would be, what, what you would think given an ACC team that, has 22 ACC wins and 43 wins overall, but you know that that 11 RPI. I mean, Florida State's ahead of them, Texas Tech's ahead of them. You know, if, if things don't go right for them in Durham, um, they feel slightly vulnerable. And Arkansas, all the way up at four, talking about how weird Texas mm-hmm. Tech's resume is. Try Arkansas out with number four RPI, 18 and 12 in the SEC, hasn't won a road series just
1: six and 13 on the road. This yeah,
0: year. and but they have 20 top 50 wins. I, it's it's a strange one, and and I think they are vulnerable this week. If they if they were to go zero and two in Hoover, I think the Razorbacks maybe are falling. They they would be the team that so some, if someone steps up in that Florida State, Texas, Texas Tech group, Arkansas maybe is the most vulnerable of these current top eight seeds.
1: I would agree with that. You know, I I think in general this year, other than the very top top of our rankings, there has been a, a lot of that. Looking at these resumes, a lot of just just oddities, honestly, things that make you scratch your head a little bit. Uh, we've seen that a lot with a lot of these teams. We've seen it with Texas Tech all year. We've seen it with Florida State all year. Um, you know, Clemson as a team we saw it with a little bit early on. Although I feel with them at 22 and eight, unless they go 0 and 2 in Durham, I, f- I still feel good about it. But you never know what the, what the committee is. I mean, is that 0 and favor. 2 would be a
0: bad 0 and 2 True. if it
1: were to happen.
0: That would do nothing positive to their RPI, which already, again, is not in the world's greatest spot.
1: Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, obvious, obviously you would feel a little more comfortable as a Tigers fan if they were inside the, the in, top 10.
0: In general, if you're wondering what your team needs to do this week, I, I think it starts with maybe don't go 0-2. That that that, that feels like a good start. It's,
1: it's helpful. It's, it's, <laughs> it's helpful to, in general, the committee seems to like to, I mean, in my experience, uh, you know, I'm not an expert, but in general, it seems like the committee likes teams who win games. I think in general, the more you win, the better off you're going to be. So if if I had to give some advice to to any team in the country, how do I get in the tournament? I would just say, hey, win.
0: Also, yeah, just don't try and back in. Like I, I feel like a lot of the questions in the chat this week that I've gotten on Twitter over the weekend are like, What's the least we can do? Like, I don't know. Maybe that's not, that's maybe, not the right attitude.
1: Yeah. If, like, I'm a, if I'm a coach, I'm not addressing my team. <laughs> hey, guys, what's the least we can do today to win this game? Like, How, I, how can we win with the bare minimum amount of effort? I, I do get the <laughs> mindset, but like, because you want to know, like, if everything
0: goes wrong, are we still okay? Like, I get that aspect of it, but um, I don't know. I have a little more faith in your team, I, I, I would say, and, and expect them to go out and win a couple games this week, and and then they'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, every team other than, you know, the the very top of the top has a little bit of uncertainty going into it, at least if not in getting into the tournament, you know, in terms of hosting and, and national seed and, and things like that, you know, other than, you know, a team like Florida, Stanford, you know, those guys at the very top, there are they're, they're things that can change. There are things that are flexible. Here. So, I mean, the, the best course of action is just to try not to lose. It's just try to like, continue to do what you've been doing all year. Or if you haven't won a lot this year, <laughs> win the tournament. <laughs> that, I mean, that is the beauty of conference tournaments,
0: right? <laughs> Especially in in, bid, in leagues that are usually one-bid leagues. You know, you it didn't matter that you, you didn't win the conference regular season. Because you have, you have a chance now, and, and you have a chance to, to play your way in. And Mike, let's talk about some of those teams that could play their way in or play their way out this week. Let, let, let's look at the bubble. Um, I think the most interesting part of the bubble is AM and Kentucky.
1: Yeah. Two
0: SEC teams that went 13 and 17 in conference this year, but still have top 25 RPIs. Um,
1: yeah, it's 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 head scratching. 13 it's, and 17
0: <laughs> is not getting it done. And in the SEC, so the the format, the way it works is the top four teams get buys and every teams five through 12 essentially have a play-in game on Tuesday and Kentucky and to a play-in game to get to the, the more regular double elimination portion of the tournament before it turns into single elimination again. It's a strange format down in Hoover. Um,
1: These are all a little bit strange.
0: It's true. <laughs> um, so Kentucky and A&M are the first two games of the SEC tournament Tuesday morning. And for both of those teams, those feel like absolute must-wins because the way the committee looks at this, conference tournament games get counted to your conference records. So lose those games, and the Aggies and the Wildcats would be 13-18 and 18 in the SEC. And I'm going to say that that's, that makes for an anxious week. And frankly, that's probably just bubble out.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very peculiar situation for both of those teams just because given the way that they both started their seasons, given just the talent on both rosters and what we envisioned for both teams, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was a couple months ago. We're talking about Kentucky as if, you know, they were one of the best teams in the country. And you look at the talent on the team and you could still make that statement in terms of talent that okay, maybe they should be one of the best in the country, but for whatever reason, they've they've struggled here. Down the stretch in SEC play, they've they've dropped series. I mean, they're getting swept uh, th- this weekend did them no favors. I mean, being 13-17... and 17, yeah. it, it, it If some they th-
0: just won once at Vanderbilt, y- yeah. they could feel so much better
1: about it. I mean, at some point, you are what your record says you are. And the reality is, as much as we like this Wildcat team, they've put themselves in a really tough position here. Uh, in, in a must-win situation against Auburn, which is not an easy win. A no win in the SEC is easy.
0: And it's but, uh, Auburn. This Auburn team is on the hosting bubble, and so they want this. This is not a case where Auburn can just say, "Eh, you know, whatever happens this week happens." Like, I know Auburn's trying to host, and they need to win that game to be able to host, probably.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a lot of bubbles going at it, and when <laughs> when, when bubbles go. And m knows
0: about bubbles, though, right?
1: Oh yeah, and knows knows a lot about bubbles, so um for those of you who aren't familiar uh they they blow bubbles uh, they have bubble machine they have like a bubble machine after after their home runs is it a machine? it's got to be a machine so, no those you are machines just, you can't just have one I'm sure there shoot. are
0: some people out there with yeah. like just like the the little wand bubbles but no they're they're like some like serious like very intricate machines
1: yeah cuz i cuz i i was there i was in college station for a super regional i saw the bubbles I didn't see the machines, but oh, no, they're, I, they're I, had to, I had to assume just because. I mean, tweet that's,
0: your bubble machine at Emlin Anna. Yeah,
1: I want to see your bubbles. Um, that's I wanted. I want to see how the bubbles are made for sure. But yeah, Texas A&M knows a lot about bubbles. I you know they they also have a tough draw. They're in a very similar situation, the exact same situation as Kentucky. They're facing Vanderbilt, who Vanderbilt is obviously coming off the sweep of Kentucky uh, this past weekend. It's, Teddy's going to be there. He's going to keep you updated. Whoever wins, whoever loses in that tournament, it's going to have a big ripple effect on our 64 and on what the committee decides next week on Monday. So
0: I'll tell you, I don't think anyone's really going to need coffee in Hoover tomorrow. I think that we're going to get some immediate drama. And you know, the, immediately, like the, the first two games of this tournament, there is going to be no settling into it. It's going to be must-win scenarios from the jump. And, I mean, like... That's not something that we usually get in Hoover. It, it takes a little while to to build some of the suspense. Sometimes, at least into the night. Um, I bet you still drink some coffee. So you know, I'm not I'm sense. not that big of a coffee guy. You know this. I know I know that, but
1: at some point
0: it's. Oh, of... uh, I maybe not. I maybe not tomorrow. <laughs>
1: but there will be lots of coffee soon. <laughs> that, that tournament to survive that tournament, you need coffee. It's so uh. It's quite a. It's a bear of a tournament. Yeah. It's. Uh, so looking at
0: elsewhere on the bubble, beyond the Kentucky A&M conundrum. Let's look out west for a second here, Mike, with Arizona and Washington. And I, I, I know we've talked about this before. Arizona um, this week won a series against Arizona State, got a huge win on Saturday in the third game to claim the series. And that was really a must win because they're sitting at 12-15 and 15 in the Pac-12 going into the final weekend. Um, frankly, this might be a must sweep when they go to Oregon, just to get back to 500, they have the RPI, they have a lot of things going for it, but if they don't win the series this weekend, they're done. And, you know, even if they do, I mean, they're still going to be
1: what, like sixth in the PAC 12. So. Yeah, they're sixth right now. It's, and they're facing eighth place, Oregon, you know, I think they can do it. I think there's, I think there's a path there, but. I'm not sleeping well if I'm on Arizona right now. You know, I'm nervous heading into this weekend. And that's
0: a team that has yet to win a weekend on the road. They they have no winning road weekend. So much like Texas Tech last week, Arizona needs one in its final weekend to, to really, you know, give itself a chance. Uh, Washington, meanwhile, welcomes Stanford in. And this is a really interesting series from a few different perspectives. So Stanford is trying to clinch the Pac-12 title. They just need one win or an Oregon State loss to do it, and it would be their first title since 2004. So that Stanford trying to do that on the one end. Washington, their RPI is not good, but they are tied with UCLA for third in the uh, in the Pac-12. They're 18 and nine in the Pac-12, and we've seen in the past teams from the Pac-12. UCLA did this last year, with RPIs in the 60s. They, uh, if they finish really well in the Pac-12, they can get in, and it seems like that's the position the Huskies are in this weekend. But they probably they can't afford to be swept
1: this weekend. No, they can't. They need at least one win against Stanford this weekend for the for the mere fact that their RPI is at 71 right now. Uh, a win against Stanford, the number two RPI team in the country, obviously that RPI gets a little better at the very <laughs> at the very least. They they need a win this weekend. Uh, you know, they're a team that, you know, really the, the middle of the Pac-12, we've been waiting for one of those teams to emerge this year, whether it be Washington, Arizona, Cal uh, at one point seemed like a team that had a chance to to break into that conversation as, as well. You know, to me, it seems like Washington has the easiest path here in that they don't necessarily have to win a series. They just have to win one game this weekend to really secure things for them. Arizona, it's, it's a little shakier. It's doable, but it's a little shakier. It's the the Pac-12 and and really the you know the West West Coast in general, other than the the top top of the top teams this year, it's been uh, it's been tough to figure out. You know, um, we saw going to the Big West, we saw Cal State Fullerton come all the way back after their tough start to to win that conference. But you know, other than that, in terms of at large teams, it's been it's been tough to figure out. Okay, who. Who belongs in this tournament field, especially when you have a conference like the SEC, where you have all these teams who have, you know, RPIs in the in the 20s and 30s and teens that have losing records in the SEC, and trying to balance that with a team like Washington that's 18 and 9 in the Pac-12, but 28 and 22 overall and 71 in, in RPI. It's, uh, you know, I think the committee has some really tough decisions cut out for them uh, uh, coming up this weekend. So I don't, I don't envy them. Although, then again, we're doing the same exact thing. We're just... <laughs> we, we are. Um,
0: we, we definitely are. Mike, you're going to be at the ACC tournament. Oh, I am. We, there are a couple bubble teams there, Georgia Tech and uh, Miami. Miami, of course, trying to uh, secure a, a regional's berth in Jim Morris's final year. Um, what do you feel... What's your read on those two teams, the, the Yellow Jackets and the Canes, going into this week?
1: Yeah, well, I think, I think they're both certainly capable and looking at the path that they have to take I mean they, they both play t- on Tuesday. Uh, Miami plays Notre Dame. That's that's a winnable game for the Hurricanes. Georgia Tech plays Pitt. Again, that's a winnable game for the Yellow Jackets. Um you know from there obviously it gets harder. Miami faces Clemson and Georgia Tech faces North Carolina. Uh t- two games that are going to be very difficult given that those are the teams that won their respective divisions. But You know, for Georgia Tech, uh, you know, I've seen them a couple times this year. And to me, I mean, they have the pieces to make a run in this tournament, especially if they get their offense going the way it went this past weekend against Duke. They hosted Duke, they dropped 20 runs on them on the second game. They won that series. If they're able to bring those bats, Joey Bart, the ACC player of the year, if he's hot, if he's swinging it well, they have a chance to maybe make some noise in the tournament this year. They've done it before. They've won the ACC tournament before where they weren't an at-large team necessarily. I don't think they necessarily have to win this tournament, but they do need a good showing here. And, um, you know, they're going to have the opportunities, especially going against UNC. They played UNC very tough when they, they matched up earlier this season. So they're not going to be intimidated by them, and I think they're going to have a chance Miami, it's it's been strange to see them be so bubblicious these last two years after going to Omaha the past two years before that. They do have the opportunity, though. I mean, they are above five hundred finally, 27-25. Uh, and 25. They're 16-13 in the ACC. Their RPI is at 63. They have the chance, but I, I think for me, I think they need more than just the one win. I think they need to make a bigger splash than that in the ACC tournament.
0: It's going to be very interesting to watch those two teams I appreciated the opportunity to make option jokes when, uh, uh, Georgia tech dropped 20 runs on, on Duke. That was, I I did appreciate that. And I think the yellow jackets are carrying some momentum into this and yeah, they just missed that extra point. They did. they won
1: seven. Well,
0: you know, option, the triple option is very difficult to prepare for. So you you can understand how it would catch Duke by surprise. So Georgia tech, I, it, it really feels like a must win on Tuesday against, against Pitt. And then, uh, you know, just kind of see where it goes from there. See if they can find a way against against North Carolina. You know, that's an intriguing team.
1: Uh, I, I think it's doable given how they matched up with UNC earlier this year. I, I don't think there's a a huge disparity there. I mean, the key for Georgia Tech is they need depth on the mound from mm-hmm. whoever's starting. That that's the biggest key. If Georgia Tech can get at least seven innings, six or seven innings from their starter, uh, whoever they throw in that game, they're going to have a chance. But their bullpen, really, haven't seen it in action. They, they do have some holes in that pen. It's 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 very easy to put up runs against those guys, especially the middle inning guys. So they need some depth on the mound if they want to win some games in this tournament.
0: That's going to be one to watch. Uh, there's plenty to watch around the country. We already have four bids locked up for, for this year's NCAA tournament, so 60 more to go. Uh, the first four in, we got um, Texas Southern in the SWAC. You got North Carolina A&T in the MEAC. That's their first since 2005. Uh, Fullerton clinched the Big West title. And uh, Army on Monday uh, beat Navy to win the Patriot League. Uh, so very uh, impressive season for Army. Texas Southern, I think that, that's three in the last four years. Uh, very impressive uh, for, for the, you know, the way that they've played in the SWAC tournament and in the SWAC in general, but, but to win three out of the last four SWAC tournament titles, very impressive for Texas Southern, uh, North Carolina A&T getting back, uh, for the first time in more than a decade. And of course, Fullerton, just doing what Fullerton does, uh, we'll see them in Omaha or something. You don't want to see them show up in your regional. That's, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. Especially given their pitching staff and, the way they've heated up down the stretch here, they've done this the last few years. This is this is what Rick Vanderhoek's club does.
0: This is a more extreme version.
1: It, it is, but, but it is still a version it's, of it. A, he's a, he's a magician. I'll will t- tell you what. He's you know for my next act, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna start 0 20 next year. And, you know I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't put it past him at this point. Every hole that they've dug themselves into the last few years, they've dug out of and made a deep run in the postseason. So. If, if they were one of the eight teams to make it to Omaha, I would not be surprised.
0: And we mentioned earlier the the emotional you know, way Texas responded to Augie Garrido's death. It, you saw the same thing out at Fullerton. Those guys weren't recruited by Augie, like, unlike the Longhorns, who a lot of that team was. Um, but he still meant so much to that program. And after they won the, the title, to, to see the way they recognized him, they have a, a big uh, a commemorative decal. I don't know on the outfield wall and the team all went out there and, you know, just to see those two programs, uh, the two programs, uh, Augie Garrido is most associated with uh, win conference titles this weekend, I think was a a special moment for a lot of people around college baseball. We got plenty more to come this week, plenty more bids, uh, tickets to be punched, uh, bubbles to be busted, all sorts of stuff uh, here in the conference tournaments to come.
1: And baseball to be played.
0: There, there will be baseball, I suppose. I guess that's a thing that happens. There'll be a lot of it played this week, actually, uh, all over the place. Hopefully, not too much rain. That, that's another thing that happens a lot of times well, with conference tournaments. Well, now it's going to happen
1: because he said it.
0: That's okay. It was happening anyway. So we'll be back here to talk about it uh, next Monday. We'll 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 have a field of sixty-four, a real field of sixty-four to discuss, uh, and I'm sure we'll break it down in in all sorts of various ways. But keep it tuned to BaseballAmerica.com throughout this week. Uh, there'll be projected field of 64 plenty of content from the these conference tournaments and uh, all sorts of fun stuff and as Mike mentioned earlier the draft is around the corner so if that's a thing you're into there there are plenty of scouting reports to be read uh there's a there's a, the BA 500 is listed um there's all sorts of stuff there to to keep you busy and uh over the next few weeks before the draft make sure to continue to follow us at baseballamerica.com and on Twitter he's mike lanana @mlanana on Twitter <laughs> It's a, it's a tongue twister. I'm Teddy Cahill. I'm at Ted Cahill on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back here next week to talk with you guys. Thanks a lot for listening. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.